I don't think anybody had ever been so direct to this physician. I mean, I, I hate to use the word. I'm sure your listeners have run into it. Arrogance is my definition of him. And nobody has said that to him. Welcome to Speak Up For Your Health. I'm your host, Dr. Arkel Giorgio. In this podcast, I have conversations with real patients about how they found their voice, figured out how to advocate for themselves, and finally got the medical care they needed. What is more important than that? Now, you may not have the same health condition as the guests on the show, but you may have the same frustration with your doctor, your health insurance company, or some other part of the healthcare system. The stories you'll hear are real and relatable, and most importantly, give you the courage to speak up the next time you're getting care. Today's guest is Vicki, a woman in her 60s who is a powerhouse. She started her career advocating for individuals as a clinical social worker. Pretty quickly, this turned into advocating for seniors as she worked with two California governors on aging and long-term care. And then Vicki was appointed by President Clinton as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Aging at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And all of this is important because while Vicki used her voice to advocate for so many others, she didn't do it for herself until she had a life-threatening illness. Enjoy the show. My history is really helping other people. I'm used to being an advocate. I'm used to being a voice for other people. I'm used to getting people the kinds of programs and services they need. And I did that helping individuals. I did it from a policy perspective, working for government to create positive change in healthcare, mind you, in healthcare. And then my husband and I were both caregivers for my parents bringing my father home to die and then taking care of my mother who had Alzheimer's. And so during that whole entire process and during my probably entire career and personal life, I have been devoted to helping others. And so consequently, when I first started experiencing health problems, I found it amazing that I lost my voice. I felt frightened, I felt intimidated, and I just did not feel like I had control of that healthcare journey. And Vicki, why do you think that switch went literally off where you were advocating for everyone else from family and friends to your clients, but when it came to yourself, you couldn't find your voice? What happened? I think that when you do have a healthcare crisis, an acute episode, you don't feel good. You're not sleeping. You may not be eating well. You may be really sick. And so it's harder to become your own advocate. And then I do also think that women in particular are great, great caregivers. You know, they're very good at taking care of everybody else but they're not really good at taking care of themselves and really feeling empowered or having a voice to say, this is what I need. And so it's a struggle, I think, to move from, it's okay to advocate for others and it's okay to advocate for myself. 
men and women both struggle with it, but clearly women struggle with it even more. So can you share a little bit about your health issues, your medical condition, and what was the situation that you experienced? Yeah, it started probably a little over six years ago, and I I just wasn't feeling good. And I would go to my doctor, and they would check me out. They do blood work. They've even put heart monitors on me, and they could never figure out exactly what it was. And and for professional women who are listening to this podcast, I think part of the feedback I got is, well, you are a busy woman. You're traveling a lot. You're going to meetings, you know, different time zones. And so there was always this other excuse about why I was not feeling well. And then we reached a moment where I was told I had issues with my gallbladder. And so I was going in to get a gallbladder operation. And so the next step I always like to share is my poor husband was called into a chapel to be told that uh, I had cancer and that I had had a quote-unquote, heart episode on the operating table. So let's just go back. You went in for a gallbladder operation. Did they think you had gallstones? They weren't really sure at the time. They thought it was gallstones. They thought that's why I was having the pain there. And so it was supposed to be just a minor kind of surgical procedure that's why I, I'm kind of laughing about it now. But my poor husband, ah, well, it's no big deal, you know. He went home to take care of the dogs, let them out. And then he gets this call from the doctor saying, I'm sorry, you need to return to the hospital. If I think back on that, on why I was getting the procedure, I probably couldn't clearly articulate, this is the medical reason why I am getting this surgery. And I don't know about the rest of your listeners, I never did well in science, ever, which is maybe part of the reason why I wasn't my own best advocate, because it's a little overwhelming for me. I just trusted my doctor, you know, so the doctor said you needed the surgery. Okay, I'll go get the surgery. Maybe that'll take care of why I don't feel good. Uh, But that's where when they opened me up, they found the cancer. And then I had this heart episode that led to them sewing me back up uh, and being told that I needed to heal from that procedure and that I needed to go see a doctor about my AFib. At that point, I had been diagnosed with AFib. And that's when I started this journey that has been probably over six years in the making. So for people who are listening, AFib stands for atrial fibrillation, and it's an irregular heart rhythm. It's the most common irregular heart rhythm, but it can have serious, serious complications, which you have subsequently had. We'll talk about that in a moment. But around this whole episode, and you know, I've I've heard your story before, Vicki, but I am listening to it so much more intensely now. You didn't know why exactly you were having surgery. You had the surgery, and in the middle of it, you have a completely different diagnosis than you were ever expecting, this gallbladder cancer. And in the middle of the surgery, you had some sort of episode that takes you to the chapel, which means they thought you were going to die. And when you think back on that, 
did the doctors take a wrong turn? Did you not speak up? Like when you think about that, do you have any regrets about how you approached it? I don't know if I necessarily have regrets, and I'll tell you why. I had an awesome internist at that point, a woman. So prior to the surgery, I kept saying, oh, I can live with this pain. Oh, I can live with this pain. Oh, it's not that bad. And she finally said, halt, you really have to stop driving yourself so much and look at what is causing it. When you have pain, it's giving you a message. So it was based on her recommendation, of which I admit I totally trusted her, that led to that surgery. So, you know, in many regards, it was beneficial because they discovered the gallbladder cancer and they discovered that I had AFib. And so I ended up having an ablation procedure and having gallbladder surgery to remove the cancer. And so thankfully, they were able to remove all the cancer. They called it early enough. I do think that part of the reason why my journey has been fascinating is during that process, I wasn't feeling well. I mean, totally was not feeling well. Uh, The heart was doing okay, but I had diarrhea. I was throwing up. I mean, it was just one thing after another, after the um, cancer surgery. And I distinctly remember I had to be in a wheelchair to go see this surgeon. And it was at a teaching institution. And he had a whole bunch of other medical students in the room. And I'm saying, I don't feel good. There is something going on. And he did not look at my surgical scar or surgical operation. And then he actually said, if you feel that bad, I cut out your cancer. You need to go to ER. Now, that is a moment, Arkel, where I think I started getting my voice because I got so angry. And I I literally looked around the room and said, that is not going to happen. You are responsible for triaging this situation. And it ended up that they did blood work and they did an MRI and found out I had a septic infection. So I was returned to the hospital for an entire week to take care of the septic infection. So Vicki, what did you learn from that? I I think that was my flicker. I'm going to call it a flicker because I definitely have more flame uh, now than I did back then. It was my flicker of recognition that I have to advocate for myself. I think my poor husband was on absolute overwhelm with everything that was happening. And he's trying to get some information also. But I finally learned, you know, if you don't speak up, nobody knows how you feel. My husband doesn't know how I feel. He's not a mind reader. It's up to me to be able to communicate it to the doctor to say what you are doing is inappropriate And this is what I feel needs to take place as a next step, as a minimum. And so that's where I got my voice of being an advocate of how I communicate with my physician. Now, I will say my relationship with that physician is a heck of a lot different than with my current heart doctor, who I consider to be an awesome friend. But I think it was a learning episode for me. And I have to hopefully think it was for him also. You said that you were so angry 
that that's when you found your voice. Do you think that that's the trigger for most people? It could be anger. It could be fear. Do you think that was the trigger is anger that you just lost it? I do think that fear and anger sometimes go together. I really was afraid of what was happening to my body. And I do think that anger helps you to get that voice. What I have learned, though, as I've moved forward and realized the significance of being able to articulate how I feel and how I prepare myself better for my business with doctors is it becomes a conversation. So I've, I've tried to take that initial anger and turn that into, okay, what did I learn from this? How do I get better prepared when I go in to have a conversation with the physician? Oh my goodness. What a journey. When you said to your surgeon, you were responsible for me, you got me into this situation and you have got to triage this. He, I'm assuming it was a he, probably had never been spoken to like that or not spoken to like that often by a patient. How did he react to that? I think he was surprised, but I'm sort of laughing at this because I think that all the students, so keep in mind, you're in this little exam room. He's got like six or eight other kinds of students (laughs) going into surgery and, you know, oncology with him were shocked. I looked at their faces, they literally were shocked because I don't think anybody had ever been so direct to this physician. I mean, I I hate to use the word, I'm sure your listeners have run into it, arrogance is my definition of him. And nobody has said that to him because, I mean, he had not even looked at the incisions. I had pus coming out of one of my incisions. I was stapled up and one of the staples was coming out and there's pus coming out of it. He never once even looked at it. It was one of the other students who was in there who ended up looking at it. I think he was surprised. And I also must admit, I gave him a little bit of a lecture about, you wanna know why healthcare costs are so expensive? You are the reason. You are sending me to ER for an evaluation. Don't you think they're going to look at my staples and my incisions saying, aha, you just had surgery in the oncology unit from having cancer. Why are you in ER? I said, one, that's why healthcare is a mess. And number two, that is not a good thing to do to me as your patient. So yes, that came from anger, <laughs> but it was, I, 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 he left. And so when he came back into my hospital room, because I, I had to go back into the hospital, I cannot tell you how nice he was. I mean, it was, uh, what do you need? What do you want? Wow. So I want to say a few things about that horrific experience that you had. And I'm, I'm so sorry that you experienced that. Every single way that that doctor behaved was unacceptable. So let me just put that out there. And thank goodness you spoke up for yourself because when somebody gets septic, which means you have a raging infection in your bloodstream, the mortality rate, the death rate, you can get really, really sick and have a really bad outcome. So thank goodness you did that. But you also said that no one can read your mind. And when you step back from the anger, 
you certainly didn't assume that that doctor could read your mind. But with every other doctor, you've recognized that your doctor cannot read your mind and you have got to speak up. They are not mind readers. They're diagnosticians. And the third thing that I think is fascinating that you said is that after he was a little shocked at your assertiveness in response to his arrogance, he he came back and he was really nice. And he made sure that you were better taken care of, well taken care of from the blood tests that he ordered, from the meals that you were served. And I want to stop there and say that there was a study done out of Mayo Clinic that said that patients are often really afraid to speak up, talk back, insert their opinion with doctors because they're afraid of what was termed hostage bargaining syndrome. So if we just think about what a real hostage feels like, you're trapped, you're with somebody who controls your life, you don't want to make them angry and you're quiet and you're compliant and you say nothing. And patients often feel that if they speak up with their doctor, they're not going to get as good care. And your story shows that when you do speak up, the doctor can turn around and have much more respect for you and you can get better care. And so I try to convey that to so many people that they're not going to retaliate against you. They're not going to give you worse care. They're not going to ignore you. The vast, vast majority will step up and you've knocked some sense into them and really do what they need to do to take care of you. So that's what I heard from that story. Yeah, you know, I think you're spot on, Arkel. And I think also this day and age, particularly post-COVID, because we have such a healthcare crisis in staffing, I think some people feel trapped that, oh my God, I can't say anything. I can't do anything because where do I go? you know, is six to eight months sometimes to get a doctor's appointment. So maybe I don't like this person and they're arrogant, but I'm going to stay because to your point, you're almost a hostage because of the crisis that's occurring. I would contend that you're better off articulating what your needs are, sharing information about what's really occurring in your body And as one of the things I say to my doctors now is I am really compliant. You know, I am I am not a pain in the neck to a doctor. I work very hard to take my medicines. I fill them on a regular basis. I exercise. My husband and I have a Mediterranean diet. I have friends. I stay engaged in work. I try to look at a full well-being as part of my health care. And so consequently, when I walk into a doctor, I'm going to say, you're not going to get a better patient than me. So you should be happy and thrilled that I am one of your patients. Uh, (laughs) So I think your people who are listening need to think you're giving back too. It's a partnership with your physician. And I have that partnership now with my heart doctor. I want to talk about that because you said that you learned how to ask questions. You learned how to go into those conversations without anger, with just information. And that has translated into having a much better relationship with all your doctors and particularly with your heart doctor. So talk about 
about how you approach your visits with him. So what happened with me is I was diagnosed with diastolic heart failure. And I was told I was eligible actually for a clinical trial. And so I could go to either Mayo or Vanderbilt. And Mayo, of course, is not in Nashville. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. He actually referred me to Deepak Gupta, who was doing this blinded clinical trial to test kind of like a shunt or a device in the heart. And I went to see Dr. Gupta, and my first visit with him was over an hour he spent talking about my heart condition, talking about how I was feeling, showing me what the device was, making sure I was really, really, really clear of the steps for this test. Came home and told my husband about it, who was very nervous. What are you signing up for? What do you mean a foreign thing in your heart? And so I called Dr. Gupta saying, would you mind talking to my husband? We were there an hour and a half talking through what diastolic heart failure is, where I am in the stages of it, what this blinded clinical trial is. And just so your folks that are listening, it's a five-year study, two years blinded. And I didn't know if I was selected in for the device or not. And I had to go through a number of steps to actually be found eligible to participate. So I was found eligible. I found out several months ago, I do have the device in my heart uh, and I continue participating and have an awesome, awesome relationship with my physician. He is just, um, you know, I, I just have the highest regard for him. And as a result of doing that, I think my insight was we are all responsible for also giving back. And so in addition to this one study, I donate my blood on a regular basis to Vanderbilt to to actually do research on the relationship between heart disease and cancer. And then I signed up to be part of a research project with their Alzheimer's Memory Center to look at memory and heart disease. And then I just recently signed up, they call it Active Aging, which is doing a three-year study on kidney disease and memory and physical activity. And so they're monitoring me for three years because um, I also have kidney disease now. So uh, whenever I can and I have an opportunity, I say, sign me up. I want to be able to help because I want to help others who may be going through what I'm going through. Well, Vicki, you know, thank you for doing all of that, because not only are you helping yourself as being part of this clinical trial, because there's so many more doctors that are involved with your care as a result of the study, but all of us benefit from the science and the knowledge that comes out of those studies. And so I want to thank you for that. At the same time, I want to say that we give back to those who we trust. And you really trusted your cardiologist. You continue to trust him. You have a great relationship with him. Do you think that you could have brought yourself to participate in so many clinical trials if you hadn't found a path to find your voice, to have a good relationship, to speak up, and to know when a medical intervention was right for you or not right for you? 
when you feel you're in a partnership capacity, you're more willing to volunteer. You know, if I had not started that journey, I probably would have stayed maybe on the anger path. I know a lot of people who are so angry at the healthcare system. And it's good to go beyond that anger and frustration feeling to being one where you want to give back. You want that partnership. You want that relationship. I think people who sue doctors and hospitals are usually because they've had horrible treatment. Nobody listened to them. And so when we can jointly create that listening opportunity, it's amazing what we can achieve. And so it's easier for me to want to give because I have a partnership and an open dialogue and communication with my physicians. I still run in, as we all know, to some that are not what I would call the ones I want to work with on a regular basis, but I know how to deal with it better now. I know how to cope. I know how to communicate. And, you know, I know that the dialogue produces positive outcomes when I'm more proactive. Vicki, do you think that you are healthier now than you were before you had your voice? Your heart failure is a condition that continuously progresses, and yet you seem better than you were a few years ago. That's a hard question, Arkell. So I do have diastolic heart disease still. I'm the Go Red chair uh, for the Heart Association, so trying to give back to prevent other women from dying from heart disease, all ages, even children. And so I think the more we can do to give back is critical. And so I'm very proud. I won the first year of Go Red in Nashville, and now I'm cheering for 2024 and giving back. I've been diagnosed with a type of mutant cancer in my blood system. So I'm on chemo tablets that I take on a regular basis, and then I do have kidney disease. I think the difference, if you think I'm feeling better, I love it, but I think part of it is living with purpose, which is you need to have a reason to get up every morning, and you need to feel as though you have some control and some choice on the decisions that you make. And so if I'm better, it is perhaps because I've learned to have that voice to find the purpose to give back so that living each day is so I want to have a legacy that makes sense and that shows how much I appreciate being alive every single day and having good friends like you. Well, thank you. Well, we could end right there because it was so perfect, but I do want to end with a question to you, which is you said earlier in our conversation that you know how to go in and be prepared for your doctor. So if you were going to offer some practical tips for what someone can do, should do to speak up for their health, what would your advice be? Well, I'm a little bit more meticulous than I was probably five or six years ago. So I actually write down almost like a journal every single day how I'm feeling. So I write down what is my blood pressure? What is my weight? How am I feeling? What's my fatigue level? You know you're going to be asked by a doctor on a scale of one to ten, how are you feeling? I keep a record of that. 
I also carry with me, if I go outside the Vanderbilt system, I have a list of my medications. And I also have a list of when I had all of my surgeries. And I have a list of where I've had any kind of procedure, whether it was an MRI or anything along those lines. And so I like to feel that there's not a question a physician could ask me that I don't have the answer right in front of me. And then I'm very clear on what my symptoms are. And then I ask questions when they want to do, let's say, more blood work or an MRI, because I give a lot of blood. And so it's like, why do you need that information? How will that information provide you with any other decision-making capacity or analysis that you don't have based on the records in front of you today? And part of that for me is like, I can see like, as you can tell, I have multiple doctors. If every single one of them gives me a blood test when I just had one yesterday, it doesn't make sense. And so I think walking in and one, feeling prepared, but two, also not feeling intimidated to ask the question, why? How does that help you with the diagnosis? How does it help you with the analysis? What do you see as the next steps? What are the options for my care in this situation? Those are the things that become important to me, uh, being prepared and the ability to become my own advocate. Well, Vicki, that was the cliff notes or the spark notes to my entire book. No, I just take it with me wherever I go. <laughs> well, Vicki, you're the best. You always promote and support my book, and I really appreciate that. This whole podcast is about hearing how people have used the book, have used their own experiences to have a voice in their care, to get the medical care they want and need. And I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you sharing your story. I know it's personal, but you have helped people in your public service role. You've helped people in the clinical trials and you're helping people by sharing your story. And I really thank you from the bottom of my heart to your heart. A 2022 survey showed that 51% of Americans don't ask their doctor questions about their health condition because they worry that their provider will be insulted or get angry. Vicki's story shows how to be in the other 49%. So a few key takeaways. If anger is the trigger that helps you find your voice, that's totally understandable. But try to quickly turn that anger into positive energy that gets you prepared for your medical visits. And if your healthcare provider wants to order a test, a procedure, or medication, just make sure you know why they're ordering it. You just need to ask, what is the diagnosis that you're treating? Or if you're getting a test, what diagnosis are you trying to confirm or rule out? These questions are absolutely not confrontational or disrespectful in any way. And remember, doctors can't read your mind. Keep track of your symptoms and speak up at your visit so they know what you're feeling. Thank you for listening to this episode of Speak Up For Your Health. If you enjoyed it, I hope you leave a rating and review, recommend this podcast to friends and family, and share the link on social media. I would appreciate all of that. If you have your own story about finding your voice and advocating for yourself, share it with me. I'd absolutely love to hear it. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the links in the show notes. Speak Up For Your Health is produced and edited by Jenny Lee Park and myself. Music is by Alex Tepper. 
Cover art is by Sean Sutton. 